So you had a run-in with the fuel pump the other day. What happened? When you go and fill your boat up on the water, a lot of times they don't have the little clicker on the bottom of the nozzles where you can just click it down and it'll just fill itself. And, um, well, I was actually filling up my car and I flicked a little lever there at the gas pump and it didn't trip. So it didn't shut off the pump. And now there's fuel just pouring out of the side of my car, running down the side of the car. It's all over the ground. And I go to like flick the little lever and I accidentally pull the nozzle out a little bit. So then it blasts me and I got it all down my leg and all on my face. And like, I finally get it turned off. It's like, this is another disaster. Oh. <laughs> of, all, of all the hazards that you run into, just a regular old gas station fuel pump got you, man. That's no good. Well, it kind of got me thinking too. Like I remember um, the fuel pump there at the marina. They there for a while. They only wanted you to have like a twenty five foot hose on the on the pump. It's like twenty five feet. Like yeah. you know, you go to fill up a bigger boat. Like you only have twenty five feet with the nozzle. It's, I mean, I I knew the the lever thing. I was always against it. I was always like, you know, I mean, come on, you got to fill up a two hundred gallon tank here. And you're just going to hold yep. the handle for an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> squeeze that baby. Mm -hmm. but now, yeah. I, I, I worked uh, in my freshman year of college that summer. I worked at a marina and I got real good at, it was on an inland lake. I got real good at figuring out how to get that angle of the nozzle just right. But I never could figure out a, a shortcut to get that, uh, to get that just to go on auto pump. And, you know, it's for good reason. Yep. It makes sense. You don't want to spill gas all over in the water. True. But, True. um, yeah, it does make it tough. Well, we used to always put the um, the boat fob in there. So you know your key fob. Okay, you yeah. Put the key fob in there for you know for your key, the key float um, is, is yep. a better thing. Stick that in there, and that would hold it. <laughs> we're, we're always going to find a workaround. U.S. government, you can come up with whatever safety regulations you want, but us boaters, we're going to find a way to work around some of them that uh, just don't make sense. Yeah, yep. it's like the the. Um, uh, the gas, the gas can uh, that they've got the special spout that you got to pour. I can never get that baby to open up and work right. I always got to unscrew the cap, and now I'm spilling more than if he just left the old gas can yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. What do you, what are you gonna do? I know a lot what of people that do? use the um, the hose with the little thing on it. You the siphon hose. Um, oh yeah, the the shake yep. thing. Those those seem to work pretty good. I know a lot of people that will use those, and you can, you know, you can add six or seven five gallon cans pretty quick into your into your boat with the that's pretty hose. good that's a pretty good idea i never thought about using it for that mm -hmm. um for that purpose that's that's really good so all right so you got uh you got squirted by the fuel pump you get everything i i've had it happen where it, in my truck and i came out to it you know the reason oh, why they, no. they didn't is you know because it will if you're away from your truck it's spilling all over the place. I had some lady come in and say, is that your red truck out oh there? It's gosh. spilling gas all over. I'm like, Oh crap. How much did that cost me? <laughs> so, yeah. What are you going to do now? So I thought that'd be a pretty good uh, first topic, but um, I think, so we're talking about here uh, a lower unit, um, a four year old Mercury 150 when removing the lower unit for the first time, after a lot of careful pounding and wedging, it didn't work. <laughs> it finally released when I lowered the engine to vertical, stood on the fins of the lower unit being the anti-ventilation plate, and bounced up and down with all my weight and had you know the nuts loose on it so it would catch it uh, when it came down. But, um, yeah, that is definitely something that I think a lot of people do not think about. 
uh, when you buy a yeah. brand new engine that when they do, they come from the factory with no grease on anything. So <laughs> I, I like the, the last part of his comment. I'll remove it every year now. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, remove that baby, grease it up. Just do it. Uh, it makes a difference. Makes a huge difference. What, what's the worst one that you've ever had to, to get off? Uh, it, like what's your go-to move when you got one that's stuck? Um, it, it depends on how stuck a lot of times. I mean, that's the first, that's the first step is you go on there, you put one nut on it and then you stand on the, you know, trim it down vertically and stand on the back and try and jump up and down. But I mean, I weigh 160 pounds. So it's like, I'm not really doing all that much. And then you get the heavy. I'll time. come down there and help you. I'll bring my 225 down, <laughs> give you a little extra, extra jumping power. Yep, yep. So, you know, and then that doesn't always work though. So uh, when the 320 pound guy at the shop can't get the thing to budge, then you're kind of stuck. Move on, step two. Yep. Yep. Time time to bust out the mallets. Yep. Mallets and chisels, and you know, obviously screwdrivers, stuff like that, stuff that you can get to wedge in there. It also kind of depends on the model too. A lot of them, what they do is it's the drive shaft that basically welds itself into the crankshaft. And because there's no grease or anything like that on there. So you're really trying to wedge that down. So wedging around the gear case and the drive shaft housing with different chisels and picks and stuff like that, and just kind of inch it down, inch it down, inch it down. And if that doesn't work, then you're trying to pull the power head off. And if you can pull the power head off with a forklift and get, you know, Okay, okay, so you go that way and just let let it naturally fall down. Yep, yep. Those are kind of your two two options. It's so funny that if you're not if you've not been around boating to think about, I've got to do stuff just so I can do do real maintenance like a couple of years from now. Like yeah. I got to loosen yeah. things and lube things just so I can do the actual maintenance three years or four years from now mm -hmm. instead of just letting it ride. I don't need to touch my lower unit. It's good. <laughs> Impeller's good. Like, eh, maybe you want to think about it. Could save you a lot of hassle, a lot of swearing. Yeah, that's kind of the downfall of it is that you, when it comes from the factory that they don't put any grease on there. It's kind of like weird. Why do you think they don't do that? Like, no idea. I mean, easier. I have no idea. Easier, faster. They just want to mess with you, text. <laughs> <laughs> like, they had a meeting. Hey, listen. What do you guys think about this? Right. <laughs> You know, Aaron down in Florida, in four years, we're really going to mess with them on this one. <laughs> I'm sure it's probably something to do with put together with a robot or something that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Sure, it's not out of, not out of spite. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? You, you grease them up real good when you put them back. That's going to that's gonna help them yep. down the line for the next yep, time. 100%. That's basically it. And then um, – it also matters depending on if it's a gear case. Cause one of the other things that people were saying there is that, um, you know, what if it's a good gear case, how do you get it off? Then that's the chisels and all that. Um, on the one that people were commenting on, it was actually the gear case was shot. Um, it, it, yeah, I saw it, that video of yours. Yeah, like, well, how did you know it was a bad gear case? Well, there was a hole in the side of it. <laughs> I saw this little thing. Wasn't supposed to be yeah, there. Yeah. So, and you just go to town with the hammer on it or yeah, the, the closest one, I think in that one, I had a claw hammer right next to me. So I'm like, I'm using this. <laughs> Otherwise you go get, you know, get moving to the next step. <laughs> yeah. Get, get yourself a three pound dead blow or something like that. And 
that you got to my my dad used to always say you got to use the right tool for the right job and sometimes it's the closest tool that'll do the trick yeah, we'll yeah. take it yeah i try not to do that but you know i mean it is what it is you know yeah you know it you know it's shot you're not going to do that on a, a, th- a whatever that guy said four-year-old lower unit we'll take a little different mm-hmm. approach but yeah so you had a you had a whole saw video that um that a lot of people checked out uh let's go to the whole saw one the, the whole saw arbor bits that fit together up to a certain size step bits you can always put the piece of lumber you cut in that plug um out on the top of what you're cutting i feel like i'm a third grader reading yeah. here you can always put the piece of lumber you can cut out the plug out on top of what you're cutting mm-hmm. use it as a jig guy i worked with had a piece of wood in his truck with common holes pre-drilled mm-hmm. that's interesting Maybe you should have tested the whole side before you <laughs> before your idiot self used the wrong side. Problem solved. Oh, yeah. I love when if something surprises me in a comment, like it just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. You're like, oh my god, that guy, that's funny. Yeah, I stick it to you a little bit. What happened? Um, yeah, in that video. So we use um, you know, like little wooden plugs. So like right here, I got a, a couple of them. So. You know, just take a two by four or a piece of wood and cut out a plug that'll fit in a hole that's already drilled. Um, you know, for the last guy's comment, you know, if you're taking out, <laughs> so we were taking out an air sensor and where that air sensor was going to go was, um, you know, a, a gauge was going to go there. So we need to move from the small air sensor to that. And yeah, that's something that, that you can do. I, I did. I added that other one in there because the, uh, the jigs a, a pretty good idea having a piece of wood and having all the, the jig sizes. That's, I do like that. Yeah. I mean, I think on a boat, it would be a little more difficult depending on how to fasten the jig down. You know what I'm saying? Like on a dash, there's not really a way to like clamp the jig down. So you're like holding the jig and then drilling and <laughs> hoping you got a steady yeah. hand, a good grip, yeah. <laughs> but, but I like that idea. I mean, that's pretty good. But, um, yeah, on most of them, like your Arbor bits, uh, most of them, especially these bigger ones, you can fit two on there. So if you put, say you put a big one like this and you, you put that on there, then what you can do on the inside is take your other one and it'll fit on there like that. Okay. That's what they're talking about. Now, the problem with that is when you're talking about a three quarter inch hole, you can't do that on the smaller bits. So if you're trying to go from a hole, that's like a three quarter inch, this Arbor bit will only let you put a three quarter on there. You can't add one. So I, you know, that trick kind of works, um, up until like an inch and a quarter or something. I mean, you can do that. You can double them down all the way down to like an inch and a half inch and a quarter. But once you get down to the smaller stuff where we took out an air sensor or somebody's drilled a hole, you kind of got to have another way. So you either got to do the plug or the jig, or I don't know, maybe there is a, a, a different hole saw company that makes, you know, the Arbor that goes down that small, but. Right. I didn't know you were coming with props today. That's good. I like that. You're prepared. <laughs> you got some, got some props. So yeah, it's, it's funny when you do like the, the guy that has his jig cut, you do something often enough, you know, as a technician, mm-hmm. you do it or, you know, whatever your job is, you come up with all these shortcuts, but the, the dude just doing it on his own mm-hmm. on, you know, on his boat, he does a project one time. Yeah. 
but he does 30 different projects. He's got to learn the hard way on everything exactly. unless he can learn from your guy like you that uh, has solved that puzzle before. That's good. Oh, yeah. There's, you know, they, what do they say? There's 10 different ways to do something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Tell me about that, Aaron. What are you talking about? <laughs> there's all different ways, you know? So yeah. um, I, I can't think of the analogy right now, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget what the topic was. It's like your your academy that you have that's got all those videos, like mm-hmm. all those shortcuts or stuff that that uh, is just invaluable for people that are trying to figure it out themselves. Like there's an easy way to do it, but you got to go through uh, – the first time is always going to be the hardest. Oh yeah. When you're trying to talk about so. gaining, you know, years of experience and mistakes in, in a fast track kind of way, that's definitely the way you want to do it is to learn from somebody else's mistake. <laughs> learn from somebody. What did that guy say? Idiot. Is that yeah, what he said? Yeah. Idiot self. Before your idiot self <laughs> use the wrong size. <laughs> Luckily on that one, I didn't do that. I didn't, um, I didn't drill that hole. We were just removing something and adding something. So, Okay. Okay. All right. That that wasn't your uh, your first first hole. That like talk about the most nerve wracking time of a new boat owner. Like the first time you're putting a hole in your new boat, new boat, twenty year old boat that you just mm-hmm. got, whatever. Like that is the most nerve wracking time, especially if it's below the waterline. Oh yeah. You uh, yeah. Eventually yeah, you get to bit. that point where you just send it. I mean. <laughs> I, I, I don't mind drilling any. I'll drill a hole. All right. You know those transweavers. There's a hole like this on the bottom of the boat. <laughs> Be fun. Oh my it's fine. <laughs> I know how to patch that if I'm off a bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there. Oh, I saw. I saw a meme the other day that had something something like that. Like the the guy was was mounting a transducer, and like he flush mounted it to the to the boat or something mm-hmm. like that. Yep. Like oh, the the mistakes that people make. But if you don't know, you don't know. Yeah, kind of. So, probably your biggest one is. Um, I have sent a few screws through. You know, some, some, spots, yeah. <laughs> you're like, there's the, there's the gel coat outside uh, and you yep, got a little, yep, fruit yep. Fruit. I mean, it's not that often, but, but I have sent my share of, of them through. Um, the last one that I did was actually, I don't even know how I did it because, um, I was mounting a piece of starboard to something as the backing plate and I grabbed all four of the same size screws and you know checked everything out it's all good sent the first three and they're all good on the fourth one same size screw came right out the back side of the thing like, <laughs> who was laminating this boat yeah. who was who was in that mold putting down the putting down the uh the fiberglass layers yeah, yeah. i mean so so that that happens so that does that yeah. does happen but uh We'll give you a pass on that one. <laughs> so what what kind of grease do you use on bolts? We talked about, we should have done this one earlier. On the gear case, mm-hmm. when you got something that's stuck, um, what, what do you put on there so that it doesn't seize up the next time to make your next job that much easier? I used to always, pretty much always use Triple Guard, which was a Johnson Evinrude grease. And that, was, that stuff was phenomenal. But um, it's getting harder and harder to get it because obviously Evinrude, um but, Johnson Evan Root is no more. Yeah, yeah. But sad, sad. I know, but they um yeah, that was that was always the go-to. That was probably the best grease ever made. Now, um probably two four C Mercury, um extreme grease or whatever that is, either two four C or the Mercury Extreme or High Performance or whatever whatever they call it. They got some fancy name, but um <laughs> I mean Yamaha's got good, good grease too. So between 
the Yamaha and Mercury, that's pretty much the two greases that I'll use. Um, unless, you know, I think in my garage, I've got some red and tacky grease out there. So if I, you know, if I don't have any of that, of the Mercury or Yamaha. Is it, is it kind of like the hammer situation, whatever's closest yep, to you yep, as you're doing yep, the job? Yep. <laughs> oh, here we go. That's, I don't have to run to the shop to get this. I just use this real that's, quick. That's what you got to tell them. I mean, especially new guys, it's like, even if, you know, just something. Don't send it dry. Please don't send it dry. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to save you or whoever the next guy yep. is working on it. Hours, yep. hours yep. of frustration and busted up knuckles. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I don't, Glenn's probably I, not the most, you know, as long as you're using something. <laughs> grease, yeah. <laughs> grease it up. Not No Loctite, just grease. I get anxiety when I hear the word Optimax. Maybe talk about how some engines get a bad rap for people having a bad experience with one. That's a, I love that question. That's that's really good. Yeah, I think that is a really good question. I um I mean I don't know. I'm I'm probably partial because I still I'm kind of an Optimax fan myself. You know, not an OptiPop, but but the Optimax. <laughs> um, I mean, I still think I mean there's they were still a good engine, but yeah, if you didn't know what you were doing and you got poor fuel they could become a nightmare really, really quick. And there's also, I don't know if you and I talked about this on another episode, but so an engine or even a boat gets a bad rap for if there's like a, a certain percentage of people that have issues, but even like the the FIC, the the Evinrude, um, the, the Optimaxes of the early years, um, the, you know, OMC drives and the force drives, like all of those I'm sure make you, like cringe, but there's still, you know, there's a bunch of people out there that say, I've got a 1976 force that still runs like a top, had it since grandpappy bought mm-hmm. it. And that thing is, it's rock solid. Like there's a group of people that had a great experience with it, but it's just that 10, maybe, maybe 20% that had nightmares. And that's how it gets, that's how it gets the rap in your community. And then that gets spread out to everybody else. Yep. But there's a number of people that had good experiences with them. Yeah. Uh, I think I was probably, <laughs> you're like, I, mean, you're like, I don't think so. I'm probably in that camp because like, um, I had, I talked about my Mako that I had that 21 Mako 85 with the 250 ocean pro. And I mean, two, three times a week for three years, we ran that boat and I never had any problems with that. Um, and that's the one that's got the plastic carburetors and they, all kinds of people had nothing but problems with that engine, but, I kind of feel like that was always the Johnson Evinrude brand period. Like either you got a good one or you got like trash. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think another thing that happened is like, from what I understand, I've never worked on one, but the forces, if you, if you had it set up just right, they were super reliable, mm-hmm. but they were very finicky. So you get somebody that gets in there monkey and, and doesn't really know what they're doing. Yeah. And that thing gets off. Now, for the rest of its life, that's a nightmare. Not really the engine's fault. It's the person that worked on it. But I've also got a belief that, like, if you've got an Optimax that's still running strong now, it's been well cared for, you got a good one. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the nerves should be getting less and less every year that goes by. Uh, because it's if there was a bad one, it's popped already. Yeah, you yeah, know, right? it's dead. It's in the junkyard somewhere. Yeah, that, that's probably a pretty good way to explain a lot of the two strokes is, 
you would have some sort like let's say you had a carburetor problem or a trigger problem or you know a cdi box problem or something there'd be some sort of a timing issue or something that was starting to fail someone would go in there and alter the timing or the the injection and from you know from the carburetors they would you know reset the screws to it and kind of get it to run but they covered up a problem and then now everybody after the fact is now chasing an underlying problem and everything they fix. It's always like they're always chasing their tail because that original problem yeah. was covered up and it never really got resolved. So that's, that's probably a good analogy of, of how to describe that the way you said that. And a, a lot of boaters, you know, especially now, I don't think this generation of boaters so much, but, but the previous generation, I think my dad, you know, he, he changed plugs and he did, he did the work on our engine. I don't ever remember taking our, we had a, it was probably a 75, 85 Mercury two stroke. He never took that to the shop. He did everything. He's not a mechanic, but his generation knew how to tinker with stuff and figure it out. Yeah. Well, that works if it's basic enough, like the Mercs were the, the tower of power, but you get a little bit more complicated, a little bit more um, precision. Mm -hmm. And now my dad starts messing with it. And now he just jacked that thing yeah, up. And the, yeah. the next guy's like, what is going on? I got ripped off. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of the way the industry is definitely gone. I mean, we just did a repower on a 39 CV with triple V10 400 Mercs. And it's all new rigging, all new everything. The whole, the whole system's completely different. And yeah, you today's engines, you know, back then, yeah, anybody can go in there and clean the carburetor kind of, you know, settle it, set things up, tinker with it, change the spark plugs and you can keep the thing running. And now it's yep. like, if you don't have a computer, you're like, you can't work on the engine. Like, I mean, you can, it's not necessarily if it's got fuel, air and, and spark, you can make it run. Now it's, there's 30 sensors that are telling the computer how to change the spark, the fuel and the timing. So like yeah. you have no control <laughs> over, over any of the, you know, mechanical aspects of the engine. Well, I mean, I shouldn't say that, but uh, as far as the fuel injector duration and how much fuel goes right. in there and stuff like that. So um, a lot of times these engines will get a code and, you know, you look at the dash and it tells you you've got a shift code. Well, the dash only shows you a handful of codes. So one code that you see on the dash could cover six or seven codes that whenever the mechanic yep. puts an actual you know, laptop on the computer, it'll show what the real problem is. So like that your shift code might be, you know, a sensor failure of some sort. So if you go from your dash and say, Oh, I got a shift code. There's something wrong with my lower unit or my shift actuator. That's not necessarily the case because it's, it's like a general code, you know, it's like the check engine light on your, yeah. on your car. Right. Engine, Something's not yeah. right in this area, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got to you got to buy the fifteen hundred dollars software yeah. uh, to uh, to get that information. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I kind of miss the days, but I also like the new stuff too. I mean, it, it's 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 phenomenal. Well, yeah, the, they're quieter than ever, which I love. I know some people, especially in the bass boat community, like they like the sound of the mm -hmm. two stroke and there's something to that. You know, there's nostalgia of the smell oh, and the yeah. sound, but it's nice to go out on the water and all you hear is the rushing of the water against the boat yep. and the music that you're playing. Yep. Like 
that's that's more relaxing to me. I, I like it, and you still have the speed and the acceleration, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll take the trade off and the fuel economy. That's what I was about to say. I, mean, I was about to say it's the fuel economy <laughs> that I've noticed. I mean, like like those V10s. I mean, uh, at forty miles an hour, that thing's burning like twelve gallons an hour or something. I mean, really? it's it's just outstanding. Like. You know, wide open throttle, I think it was burning like 30 gallons an hour. Whereas with the L6s that were on there, he wasn't even close to that. So it really you know, one thing that's weird about those engines, though, is that they don't have a telltale. So there is no P stream on it. So really, yeah, I want to see why are they why did they decide to do that? quiet it, you know what what's funny is when the verados came out that's one of the things that they were the we talked to the engineers i was selling c ray and harris at the time and they said we we did our sound analysis and they pointed the p stream backwards mm-hmm. for because that lowered the noise level yep. down now they just got rid of it all together that's interesting yep. yeah yeah that's i mean they did that with the 600 and now yeah the v10 there's no p interesting i didn't know i want to say that i saw that there was an accessory to add the telltale for like a hundred dollars you know like there's something i'm like i I want to upgrade so i don't overheat my boat i want to see that thing every time i'm running at 40 miles an hour i i kind of want to say that there's going to be a bunch of people that want that that accessory put on yeah the dealers are like hey that's fine you don't need that telltale well We'll do uh we'll do a job for you yeah. here. That's crazy. It's an option to add that. Yeah, I, I want to really say I saw that. I ain't a hundred percent on that, but I'm pretty sure I saw that somewhere, or maybe I heard it that there was you know that option to add the telltale to to the engine. So that's funny. That's funny. I used to always tell customers when I was selling boats, I'd be like, listen. You, you don't get into boating to save money. Mm-hmm. Like you, the gallons per hour burn, that's, it's good. It's helpful if you don't, mm-hmm. but still you, you said, you know, it was what, 12, 12 gallons an hour. Like for some people that blows them away. Mm-hmm. Like, holy crap, times three, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 30, 36 gallons an hour is, is uh, on those trips, but it's not why you do it. Mm-hmm. So you do it because you can go 40 ripping down the, ripping down the uh, waterway. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of people that, um, you know, obviously it would make some people sick that, you know, some of these guys with these boats, they're spending 35, 40 grand a summer on fuel. So mm-hmm. when they look at stuff, it's, it's a different viewpoint. Like, you know, I, I know, I know people <laughs> that spend 10 grand in fuel a month during the summer to go to the Bahamas and back, they go over every weekend. And, you know, these people are putting hundreds of miles on these engines and they're just drinking that fuel. So to go from, burning say 20 gallons an hour to burn in 12, 13, 14. It's an astronomical number when you're talking about, you know, $40,000 and you can take 20, 30% off of that. That's saving you a very a lot, yeah. you know, it adds up for sure. Yeah. That's interesting. What, what were the, do you remember what the, um, what would you take off it? You said you took off Verados. Yeah. They were 300 L sixes and we put, do you know what they ran like similar speeds? What the what the gallons per hour burn was? And wide open throttle, I want to say it was like thirty two or something, thirty two gallons an okay. hour, so, somewhere in there. I think the three hundred might have been a little bit, it, somewhere about there. The three fifty is about thirty five gallons an hour, so that one was probably around thirty, thirty one, thirty two, somewhere in there. Okay, okay, yeah. 
That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. This guy, I'm a new subscriber, doing my due diligence before I buy my first boat ever. Uh, questions when buying a used boat. How old is too old? Uh, should I stay away from boats that are more than a couple years old? Uh, what are your what are your thoughts on that? I do a lot of videos on this one came from an old boat video, but how to buy an older mm -hmm. boat. What are your thoughts on that in the saltwater environment? Mm. When you're buying a boat, it's all about that budget. So you know, it's all about <laughs> that budget and and what you got. When you buy a boat, um, your pockets are what determine what you're buying because I mean reliability. Obviously, reliability is going to be in your engine. You know, for, for most boats, they're pretty, the boat's going to be the boat. And as long as you've got an engine, in my opinion, if you've got a good engine that can get you where you're going and get you back home, everything else is going to be an add on. So, yep. you know, uh, outside of the bilge pump. So as long as your float switch and your bilge pump work, <laughs> you know, and then you don't have a hole in the boat, but, um, Besides that, the, the rest of everything, stereo, GPS, all the, all the other amenities, the way it looks and all that stuff, that's going to relate back to your budget. And you can get an older boat that's been restored. Uh, we do a lot of that. Or you can get something that's a few years old. But when you're talking about, um, stay, you know, should I buy a used boat? How old is too old? I think it's going to determine about how the boat was taken care of and, and what your, what the yeah. engine situation is. Yeah. There, there's two things. Like when I say, if, Hey, you got a budget. Great. You got five grand, you got 10 grand, you got 20, whatever it is, just make sure that the structure of the boat is solid. Unless you want a project boat, that's a whole different conversation, mm -hmm. which I know you enjoy doing some of those um, transom solid, and the hull is solid, and then the mechanical. And and the the lower your budget, you can still find that. You just may have to go through some more turds to mm -hmm. before you find the one that's good. And I always say, look at all the red flags. You know, don't ignore things like the stereo doesn't work, the the GPS doesn't work, whatever. It's got the gel coats all faded and chalky. Fine, I can manual labor that stuff mm -hmm. and and get that fixed pretty inexpensively. But the the boat solid, the structure is solid, and the engine mechanically sound, and the trailer. Don't don't forget the yeah. trailer. Those, <laughs> those are important, more important than you yep. think. Uh, if you're going to be trailering the boat, um, and yeah, you can find us. You can still find a really great boat for for ten grand, and if you've got the skills and the desire to do some tinkering and some manual labor on you know making it look nice, installing some aftermarket stuff. Um, you can get a really great boat for a, for a good budget and then just keep it up, maintain it properly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So in salt, do you have, do you have kind of a, a time period where you get really nervous about engines, like an engine that's over 10 years old, um, or, or anything like that? Or, or is it, do you not have that sense in the saltwater environment? Um, I guess it, it would depend more on the engine itself. So the make and the model is going to play a big part. But for, for me, saltwater, you know, once you get over 15 years, you're getting into that territory of, um, you know, you're going to, things are going to start breaking at this point in time. Yeah. It's just, it's just the environment, the rust, the corrosion and stuff like that. But at the same time, 
you know, people are running 25 year old engines still offshore. So it, it's all back to that care and maintenance of, uh, also the running, like on my Mako with the ocean pro, we ran the engine two to three times a week. So, um, for one, it hadn't, you know, got rid of the oil pump. So we pre-mixed it. So it was getting oiled all the time. I mean, I went heavy on the oil and I would rather buy oil and smoke more and know everything's being lubricated properly. So I was running fuel through every, the fuel system, oil through the fuel and oil system. So it was all getting cleaned and, and lubed and running using the trim unit. Like everything was getting used. And as long as everything's getting used, it doesn't have time to sit there and seize up. And then when you go to use it, the seized up part now breaks and yeah, now it- <laughs> and now you got a problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Like people are always on, on my channel. I focus a lot more on buying um, boats and, and I, a lot of first time boaters I talk to, but they're like, Oh, I found this boat. It's beautiful. It's 20 years old. It's been in the garage for five years, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they're selling it is it's a great deal. I'm like, be careful, but you know, boats do better mm-hmm. anything mechanical boats do better when they're, when they're run yep. consistently. Yep. And, uh, you, well, just like your, your, uh, stator that went out mm-hmm. after what, eight months of not running it, that's a fairly short amount of time, mm-hmm. but it has, especially in salt water, especially in that salt environment. Oh yeah. And, and I found out on that one and it wasn't even the stator, it was the actual ECU. So that was a whole, oh, really? okay, yeah, I didn't like know it, that. Was a, it was a whole nother blunder, but, um, <laughs> you know, honestly though, those can be also good finds too when you find a boat that got, you know, put away and it's got 40 hours on it and they got shoved in a garage and it's been sitting in this barn for, you know, 10 years, sometimes you can find a pretty good deal. Obviously when you start, you're going to pull this thing out. And when you start using it, like we were talking about with, with stuff breaking, that stuff's going to break, but eventually you're going to come to that apex where all those things are, are, you know, fixed all the things that are going to break are, are fixed. And now you've got this boat with 50, 60, hundred hours on it looks clean, pristine because it was stored away and, and boom, you're, you're up and rocking and rolling. So that's kind of maybe the good, maybe the way to think about it is that, um, you definitely can look at things and before you even take the boat out, work everything, you know, check the steering, make sure it goes back and forth, trim the engine up and down, make sure you spray stuff with WD 40 PB blaster, Kroll, uh, lubricants, take the lower unit off grease everything up, put it back on there. And then when you go out, hopefully a lot of the stuff that you oiled up and greased up all that stuff, you're not going to have a problem with it because you addressed it before you just went and put the thing in the water and tried to run out and, you know, yeah, <laughs> you just hit out on the 4th of July weekend and let a rip yeah. go into it with the right mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, not quite a project boat, but uh, I'm going to I'm going to do this smart. I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity, um, but I'm going to slow down a little bit mm-hmm. uh, before I hit the water. It's that's interesting. I like that. I like that take. Um, I like that take. If you have that mentality, if you have mm-hmm. that uh knowledge of what to lubricate do you when you restore boats like if you've got a project boat what are your what are your i'll walk away if it has this this is a solid boat that i can turn into something that's going to be great do you kind of have a checklist that you go through or is it just 
you get the feeling that you like this. Boat. Yeah, uh, it's it's all make, model, and and time. So right now I don't have that much time, so I'm not doing fiberglass projects or you know fuel tanks, any of those bigger fiber you know projects with glass. I'm not doing anything like that right now. I'm looking for you know something that's less. Um, I'm not willing to put that much work in, even if I did have you know. Um, an old Mako or something like that. I, I, at this point in time, but you know, next year I might have time. And if I do have time, then, Oh yeah, I will do a transom or do, you know, a fuel tank or something like that. So mine's more the foreseeable time that I have in the future. You get like a, like a transom. I, I want to say it. It's not hard work. It's just time consuming yep. work. Like it, it, you yep. got curing time and you got prep time yep. and you got all that. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist mm. to do it. No, and once you have all your materials, you have the space to do it. It obviously can be out in the rain, stuff like that. Um, right. By in general, you're you're looking at spending a week to you know seven days. Are you talking like eight hour days? Or are you talking? Uh, I get home from work and I put three or four hours no, no, in no, a no, night. No, I'm talking. This is all you're going to be doing is, is the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not really eight hour days. So the first day, you know, the first day you can really get a lot of it. You know, you might have 12, 14 hours in your first day, whereas your first day is getting everything off the transom, getting it cut out, depending on the boat, you know, like a lot of center consoles, stuff like that. The transoms you'll do from the outside, some other boats, older stuff with um, inboards or different styles. You'll do them from the inside, depending on how that, cap deck situation looks like a lot of center consoles the way they're made you do them from the outside so get everything off the transom cut the transom out grind everything down and that might take you you know 12 hours the next day get everything prepped out so you cut your kusa or whatever you're using for the for the transom cut all your glass pieces out lay everything out and then you'll come back the next day lay it all up so now that only might take you, you know, three hours to lay everything up. Now you got to let it dry and then, you know, come back in between intervals of, of dry times and cure times. So as you get towards the end, you're not doing as much as the beginning. The beginning's usually the, the most time consuming. So you'll have, you know, yeah. two or three, 12, 10 hour days and then, the last couple of days might only be three hours here, two hours there. What about when you're doing fuel tank? That, that seems like a, a project that's overwhelming to me. Cutting everything out, getting that out. Is that a nightmare job or is it not as bad as, as my mind takes me to? They're like 50-50 of whether you've got access to get to the tank or you don't. So like older Parker, stuff oh. like that, have a solid deck. There is no access. You have to measure, go down in the bilge and measure from the stringer's you know, to the gunnels. So that way, you know where to go on the top of the deck and then cut with a saw, you know, a circular saw the deck out, get that popped out and then dig out all the foam and get in there and get that tank out. And, um, you really need some kind of a, an A-frame or a forklift or something to get that tank to pop out. Cause most of them are so stuck in there that getting them out can be a chore, but other ones, they have access where you just cut the silicone, you can pop the access out. Now pop the tank out, make one, boom, you're good to go. Some center consoles, though, most of the center consoles, the center console is sitting on top of the tank. 
So <laughs> that's a whole nother story because now you got to take the entire center console up, which means all the electrical has to come, you know, be undone. Yep. So the model of the boat is really going to determine the time frame and complication of how bad it's going to be to do that tank. Is there a, is there a time when you started seeing more access panels being used and thinking more about these, these have to be replaced at some point mm. or we're just sticking them in where we need to for, for buoyancy purposes and a balance of the boat. And that's, that's all we care about. I think most of them are all, are, are all buoyancy balance based thing. And I mean, the model of the boat, you know, Parker's, CV's, Yellowfin's, um, all those boats, they don't have removable tanks. I mean, some of them have a venture. They have fiberglass tanks built into the, into the deck of the boat. So, um, or the hull of the boat and other ones have aluminum tanks. Uh, Boston whalers have plastic tanks. So it's, kind of the making the model of the boat that that really determines how they how they put that together how long will aluminum take last in in salt water like when do you start getting nervous about what's that yeah, smell yeah. <laughs> um 20 i mean it, it really it really varies because of a lot of aluminum tanks you got to remember that somebody built that they welded it so you know every tank's a little different and who's that welder yeah yeah who's the welder how was his day going when he put them welds on and um also just the in general i mean a 20 year old parker you ought to be you ought to be saving your money to be putting a fuel tank in that and then anything over 30 years just you plan on that (laughs) (laughs) put it on the books put it it on the books because in the in the future it's it's going to be happening can you get lucky and run 10 years and not have to deal with it Yes. Can you buy that boat and two years later have to put a fuel tank in it for 10 grand? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) That's good. I think that's really helpful for a lot of people. Uh, I was thinking about uh, getting sea decking for my boat. Uh, Does this stuff wash down easily or can it just be removed? Uh, Would be fishing and hopefully catching fish. Uh, like a washable deck, also want to be able to chill out some days with the wife. I'm a fan of sea deck, but at the same time, if you, yeah, um, if you, if you clean it a lot, then it will wear out. So when it does wear out, uh, it is not removable. I mean, like <laughs> not without some effort yeah, anyway, yeah. Some, some scraping, yeah, and, some yeah. definite, definite scraping and cleaning. And once it is removed, um, a lot of times there's other repairs that are going to need to be done because they, that stuff goes down and it is like it is put down. It's not meant to be removed. So um, I've seen people where they removed it and in order to not have to put it back on, they had to resurface the entire deck, uh, re-gel coat, everything like that. And then other times, if once you go, it, the best way is that once you put C-Deck on, you keep sea deck on the boat. So, you know, in yeah. five, six, 10 years, whenever it wears out, then yeah, you pull it up and replace it. And it's also, it's porous. I mean, it's, it's foam, mm-hmm. the, the, um, the blood and the, the guts and hopefully you're catching fish, but that stuff's gonna, gonna sink into it or absorb into mm-hmm. it. And, um, it's, 
I don't know. My 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 thought is just having a textured a textured uh, gel coated floor mm-hmm. is going to be easier. Now it's not as comfortable on the feet. Doesn't look as nice. Yeah. But when it comes to ease of maintenance, which is that's what I like. I'll give up some some flash for some ease mm-hmm. <laughs> every day of the week, and I think it's it could be easier just having basic gel coat. Yeah. There's um. um so like C deck is going to be softer. I think it's the one of the softer of of them i mean there's so many that make them now but i think the two that are the most prominent are marine mat and the sea deck and marine mat i think is a little bit denser so oh it um, is okay it holds up more but you lose that cushion whereas the um sea deck you've got it's a lot more cushiony but it does wear out quicker because you do get that that cushiony but it is nice like what are you talking about uh, what do you say, you know, chill out on some days with the wife. I mean, I know a lot of people that have just fully sea decked the whole boat and it's pretty nice. If you run around barefoot on the boat, it definitely is a lot cooler. Yeah. yeah. It, it's definitely an amenity. And when you put it on, make sure you prep it right. Especially at the edges, yes. make sure you get, get that prepped right. Nice and clean. Everything that you're supposed to do on the instructions. Uh, what size gasket do I buy for the third gasket? If my prop shaft is scratched, um, talked about a scratch prop shaft and putting an O ring between the seal and added a third seal, adding a third seal. Yeah, so on some some lower units, um, people might get a scratch in their prop shaft, or um, you know, older older units. A lot of times, it's very common that somebody has been in there trying to take the seals out and scratch the prop shaft. And so, a couple <laughs> tricks. That was a video about changing prop shafts. A couple tricks that over the years you can do is um one so a lot most of the time there's two seals that that are on the lower unit that go on the prop shaft you can take an o-ring and stick that you put the first seal in you put an o-ring there and then you put the second seal and that o-ring helps to keep um you know it helps keep pressure and it helps keep the lower unit from leaking and then there are other models of lower units that you can add a third seal it's not really a different size gasket it's just you add a third zeal but you yeah. can't do that on all of them so there are some models that you can only fit the two or else the uh prop hub will be rubbing it it's too too tight yeah interesting i've never i've never even thought about a scratched prop mm-hmm. shaft like the, i could have i guess that makes sense though if you get something in there and you're you're prying out mm-hmm. you're uh end up in the wrong spot uh let's see I was told by a dealer that because their new boats require a break-in period, they can't be test-driven. Uh, turn me off. What would you do in this case? I would find a new dealer. That To me, that seems it seems ridiculous that a dealer would not allow a serious buyer that has put a deposit on the boat to run the boat before um, to run the boat before writing that final check. Mm-hmm. Uh, sign the final paperwork that it just seems crazy to me yeah that sounds like um it it's probably a smaller dealership that is maybe not you know that sounds like something that would happen at a very small dealership where the owner is basically the only person that works there and you know he's trying to not put time on the on the engine because he doesn't think you're a serious buyer but yeah i mean every everywhere else that i've gone I mean, 
they kind of want to do the test run because the test runs like the the nail in the coffin really you know i mean it's like right, yeah exactly like, <laughs> you know everybody's agreed on terms and this that and everything we like the boat we like this we like that and you know obviously you'll get looky lose that are trying to get a free boat ride but by and large most people when they're buying a boat they you know well i mean i would want to go for a ride on the boat before i buy it <laughs> like, you know yeah yeah that's i i tell like i tell people if you can't run the boat before you buy it don't buy it there's plenty of other boats mm -hmm. out there new you know even if you're in love with a certain brand and a certain model if that dealer isn't easy to work with when you're in the buying process what happens when you have a warranty claim and you're going to have a warranty claim there's just there's no question about it at boating things happen and you need a, a good dealer relationship mm -hmm. and if they're they're tough to work with when they're trying to get your money yeah. Imagine how they're going to be once they have your money and now you want something else yeah, from them. No. But yeah, it just do. sounds, it sounds weird, you know? Um, <laughs> weird is right. Yeah. Like, uh, at the marina or the other dealers that I worked at, it was always like the salesman, the guy selling the boat was like wanting everybody, you know, he's like, oh, no, you, you guys aren't doing nothing else in this yard till that boat goes in the water because I got people coming to tend to go on a test drive. Like, you know, he's trying to get yeah. them to sign and buy the boat. You know, they're trying to spend a hundred grand and buy this boat. Like they want, you know, we would do that. And I mean, obviously you don't want to put time on, on a new boat. Obviously you don't want to have a new boat that's got 40 hours on it from doing all these test drives. But at the same time, right most dealerships there's a lot of um you know preventative stuff there you know you go through a deal you you work around the boat you have you know the financial you know the finances part done where you they go to the bank or if you're paying cash or whatever you've proven that you can purchase the boat and that you know you really plan on buying this boat bar the test right track. yeah i've even like i i sold a lot of boats and that's I always tried to get people on the water. It was just like nothing sells a boat like the wind through your hair and them driving mm -hmm. it, you know, for the first time, making sure it's the right boat for them too. Like that's that's part of it, but as a salesperson, that's the lifestyle that you're that you're trying to to get them into or or get them to move up to mm -hmm. if it's a different yep. boat. But I also I had a customer of mine that he bought a a demo boat that we we did a lot of demos on and he said I will always try to buy a demo boat because I think the way you guys do your test drives of, you know, you you run it, the, everybody wants to see some wide open mm -hmm. throttle, but you do that for, you know, just a little bit. He's like that break in for my boat, like my boat's just rock solid. My engine has been solid. I get great um, gallons per hour burn on it. Haven't had a lick of problems. And he had trip and he got, he got more speed out of it than similar people similar boat, similar motors. And um, he was he was insistent that it was because of the way we did our demos, uh, it was helpful. Cause you gotta do, you know, you gotta do the break-in mm -hmm. period. Yeah. Um, and it, you gotta do your your pre-delivery inspection. Yep. Like, I don't know if you, if you did those oh, yeah. for the, the dealers that you were at, but that boat should be run before it gets handed off to the customer. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a- Most, uh, most manufacturers do want, a, a, most of them have a 10 hour, break-in period where you know everything on the engine is breaking in the lower unit the pistons the rings the 
valves, everything's kind of, like, you know, it's all brand new metal. So it's all kind of like working itself together. And by and large, most of them say for your break-in period, they want the first two hours to be, you know, every 10, 15 minutes, you vary the RPM and no more wide open throttle than five minutes at a time every hour. So pretty yep. much in, and that, that'll pretty much hold all the way till 10 hours. So if they want a 10 hour break yeah. period, you basically run the boat at 1500 RPM for 10 minutes and then run it at 2500 RPM for 10 minutes and then 3500, 4500, and then five minutes at wide open throttle. And then just every 10 minutes, you just change the RPM. And that's pretty much, I think the only thing they tell you that they don't want is the boat to just idle. So they don't want high idle, idle yeah, time. Yeah, idle for long periods of time, yep. <laughs> yeah, anything just sitting at the same for a long – I always thought that would be a fun a fun business for a young kid is, hey, listen, I'll break in all your boats. You know, Once, once you sell them, I'll go and I'll put the first 10 hours on every boat you mm -hmm. sell so the customer doesn't have yep. to and uh, just go for boat rides every day. That would be all right. That would be oh, good. Yeah. Uh, all right, here's another one. It seems outboards would be far more trouble-free if they were air-cooled, I guess, versus water-cooled. Um, um, I don't know. Like, I don't think it works that way. But Yeah, I, I mean, I only know of a handful of air-cooled engines. Um, yeah. Pretty much mainly the only one was that Ted Williams <laughs> from 1960-something. And um, I don't even know what that is. What is that? I don't know. It's the Ted Williams outboard. Ted Williams, the baseball yeah, player? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, no, I mean, there was an old Ted Williams. I have, That's what it was. It was a Ted Williams, like, three and a half or something or five or Oh, interesting. And yeah, it was It was air-cooled. Um, it was an air-cooled outboard. I just don't think the the power of an outboard and the abuse that it gets. I mean, most outboards are running five, 6,000 RPM consistently. So you're running yeah. 5,000, 5,500 RPM for 30 minutes at a, in a strip. So I don't know if air cooled can really get the block temperature cool enough to be feasible. Um, I mean, sometimes oil, oil temp can get up, well uh, into the 200 degrees so you know will air cool really cool off 240 degrees i don't know if you can really get that yeah. that same cooling i don't think you can and that's that's why they're water cooled is the temperatures are too high and the rpm is too high to so i think about in the in the coastal environment sucking that i mean think of all the spray you've already oh, yeah with, with just a little bit of ventilation you have, you already get salt up inside the cowling with without the additional openings, mm -hmm. I guess, um, that you would need to have it air-cooled. Even the outboards that they try to do different stuff with, you know, to make them soup them up and get more air to them and put scoops in the front, a lot of those engines have problems because they're sucking in so much. That salt's going to get you one way. All right, then you got, let's see, here's here's another one. Then you got boat makers like Cigarette, Midnight Express that make boats with four, five, and six really big 650 horsepower motors at a whopping 75,000 each. I don't know what video this came from, but uh, tell me about that video. That sounds um, awesome. I think I, I think that one I was talking about, just having multiple engines on a boat, either one or two okay. on board, something like that. But um, yeah, no. And honestly, you know, 650, nothing... 
you know, six um you're talking about stuff like a seven marine six twenty seven and seventy five is yep. actually a little cheap. Them biscuits are more like one third. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was what seven years ago yeah. when they when they came out with that, maybe even yeah. Uh, maybe it was. That was before things just shot yeah. up even as and crazy they, as they are Aldo now. Killed that like two years ago or something, three years ago or yeah. something. But um, I mean, Mercury's six hundred is like a hundred grand. Yeah, they ain't cheap. I mean, I saw I saw this meme that it said something. It was a, I think it was a scout maybe with with um, sextuplets, and it said uh, this guy just. Spins the earth around <laughs> to move. <laughs> like they're going so fast. We're just, we're just get around the earth by by cranking these babies up and spin the spin the earth to our needs. Oh, but it yeah. is, I mean, it's crazy. But that that segment, I was talking to a to a dealer that actually carried Scout uh, six months ago, and he said that segment is is so important for these manufacturers that they're they're everything's scaling up the more engines more electronics more features mm-hmm. more misters and led lights and more expensive sound systems he said there's not many there's not many people that are making the more entry-level models because there's so much demand for these higher end yeah um bigger faster more fancy boats um it's where the it's where the markets got the money mm-hmm. there's people that have million dollars to drop on a you know their third boat to add to the mix widen the gap between the poor and the rich (laughs) (laughs) i was we have a my family's got a place at the lake of the ozarks in missouri and um, i came around to bend by our place and saw this beautiful beautiful home you know like eight thousand square feet sitting on sitting on the dock was a a g23 nautique I'm not sure if it was a Paragon or not, but G23, a 42 Sea Ray Sundancer, and then a 24, I think it was an Outrage, Whaler Outrage. I'm like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a dream set. Like, what do you want to yeah. do? The only thing they didn't have was a big old, you know, pontoon, a Barletta <laughs> uh, twin-engine pontoon sitting there for, for their party yeah. boat. But you're just like... Gosh, dang, that is any one of those would be a great boat to have, let alone all three of yeah, them. Yeah, for the Lake of the Ozarks, it seems like they were missing the Donzi or the fountain that did. You know, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be, yeah, that would be uh, the cigarette. Yeah, the cigarette, that's, they need to top off. Uh, this, <laughs> this weekend is the is the Lake of the Ozarks shootout oh, really? where they've got the the races, which is a blast. It gets it gets crazy down there, but um, it is a fun, fun event if you ever have an opportunity to to get to that. Just they line up on on the main mm-hmm. channel. Everybody anchors out with their with their sterns to the to the race area, and um, I mean, there's a, a pontoon that goes. I think 103 mm-hmm. last year was the twin engine pontoon, and boats running 200, 210. It's it's incredible. It is a really really fun event. Yeah, I, I've only been to the Lake of the Ozarks once, um, and I didn't even get to do you know any of that fun stuff. Um, yeah but now what what's the temperature like up there what's it stay is it it's it's like right between kansas city and st louis maybe just a touch south so it's mid it's midwest you know memorial day the water's still chilly um but it's you know 75 80 Mm -hmm. degrees Uh, my parents just got back and it was you know 95 to 100 there right now after labor day 
trees start turning. There's a little bit of elevation there, but not much. Um, but Labor Day, everything shuts down. And I mean, you can have snow early October, oh, wow. uh, but it, you know, they get winter. We leave our dock, our floating dock in. Um, but uh, the the lake freezes in areas, you know, in the in the shallow coves. Mm-hmm. But it's deep enough and enough water flow through it that it doesn't freeze over the whole lake. But um, yeah, it's it's typical. You know, I grew up in Nebraska, Nebraska weather, um, Illinois, probably similar to Illinois yep. weather for the yep. most part. But um, yeah, it's it's fun. We started going down there when I was five years oh, wow. old. So I mean, we had a, a sixteen foot sixteen uh, foot Larson trihaul that we took there. If you try to take that baby out on the water this weekend, <laughs> you're not you're not making it home unless you're unless you're hitching a ride from somebody no. else. That baby's getting swamped in a oh, hurry. Wow. So, yeah, I think um, I was trying to trying to think of the, how long the boating season is up there, and it, it's like a what three months actually, huh? Yeah, it's they have they've got a boat show in April, which we've we've gone there by boat a couple of times, but it's cold. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, if we have it, usually the boats will get winterized mid September, end of September, but you could, you could start freezing in September at, you know, late mm-hmm. September, um, soft freeze, but, but enough to get case. you a little nervous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you don't want any water in there at all. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's four months is it's about yeah. it. And, uh, and then you're done. But it's four months of fun. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. So all right, let's go. Let's go one more. We we got uh adding the flush attachment to the boat instead of using the OEM attachment uh that is hard to get to on a pontoon. The flush is fine and easy, but when you're in your mid-70s, you can't get down there anymore. The flush move is the flush move is what you want. <laughs> um, yep. That's 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 definitely a truth. Um there's there's quite a few comments on that video where we moved, you know, there was on a pontoon boat, and I think he's got a 150 or a 115 on there, and Yamaha's got the little flush attachment on the side of the on the side of the engine, but on a yep. pontoon that's back a little bit, you got the fuel tank there, and there's a deck thing that goes over the top of it, so the guy's you know he's in his mid 70s, he's like. I, I can't get I can't get down there anymore. Like, <laughs> I'd love to flush my engine. It just ain't happening. Yeah. He's like, I want to flush my engine, but there was a lot of people that were like, "Well, oh, because we disc, you know, we took the flush thing off, cut the hose, added a thinning in there, and then ran a hose up to where he could, you know, just bend down in the back of the boat, okay. click his hose in, and not, you know, have to, you know, climb over the fuel tank and like do some athletics to get down there." And uh, that's yeah. what people are saying. They're like, oh, you should have just left the, the – just use the flush attachments. Like, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. <laughs> but when you're 80 years old and you can't bend down like that, don't worry. Like, you can't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's amazing. There are two things. It's amazing that boat manufacturers oftentimes don't think about the application and the, like, the ongoing mm-hmm. maintenance sometimes. Yeah, I think a build, where bilge pumps are put at times, like – you know this has to be changed, mm-hmm. but there's also the comments of fun, well-meaning subscribers that point out the obvious. You're like, you don't think I thought about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, we didn't have that conversation of how can we do this yep. without having to reroute this flush yep, mount. Yep. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, it's also kind of like 
when you're young, you don't think, you know, when you're, when you're like, you don't think you only see what you see in a video based on, you know, what yeah. is able to be edited in what video you got and stuff like that. But you didn't think about, Oh, there was an 80 year old man that can't get down there. And, you know, underneath that thing to, to hook up his flesh attachment. <laughs> Listen, I'm wearing a knee brace right now. I'm icing my knee as we do this podcast because I just came from the gym right before. Yeah. I understand the getting old yeah. thing. Things aren't as easy as they were, you know, even jumping jumping down off a boat. I used to think nothing about hopping off a swim platform. And now I'm like, all right, how are we going to approach this? <laughs> sit down on our butt and scooch off, yep. I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? I've tried to embrace, embrace that into my brain a long time ago of just, sitting down and scooting off or like stepping on the engine and stepping down getting a ladder, you know, climbing down yeah. that jumping off stuff. I know, I mean, a lot of people that were probably my age when I started, that's the way they were. I, but I never did that because I knew I was like, I'm going to be doing this for a long time. So I need to, I could see into the yeah. future that this is going to be problematic at oh, yeah. some point. Oh yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. And you know, it, so, so I don't have that problem yet, but uh, yeah, I, I don't do that neither because I know, you know, when you get on a thousand boats in a year, it's like you're jumping off everyone. Yeah, exactly. Takes an extra two minutes to get a yeah. ladder. Awesome. Well, this has been another good one, Aaron. It's been For fun. Sure.